Welcome to the Heartland Community Church Podcast. For more information and resources, please visit our website at heartlandcommunity.org. It is amazing grace when you think about it, something that we, uh, we don't deserve and yet we receive through faith in Jesus Christ. Thank you, worship team. Let's give these guys a hand. They did a good job leading us. Thank you, Andrew. Our worship resident. It is great to be back with you. My name's Dave. I'm one of the pastors here. And if we haven't had a chance to meet, uh, come up and introduce yourself after the service. I'd love to meet you and get to know you a little bit and tell you all the exciting things that are, are going on here at Heartland that God's doing. My wife and I had a chance to get away last week. We were down in Hilton Head and uh, it rained the whole week. How about that? So it was good to get back to uh, sunny Ohio, believe it or not. It's beautiful outside, isn't it? It's a beautiful day. Let me give you a quick update just on the Vision 2020 campaign. You heard a little bit about it earlier. We'll have an information meeting today after the service. Uh, You'll want an RSVP for that Blue Heron event. We'd love to have you come. But check this out. Just from some of our leaders, just want to report this to you. So far, we have almost $500,000 pledged to the campaign which is an amazing thing, and uh, people are turning in their commitment cards already. So I just want to praise God for that, because uh, he is good, and it's awesome to see what he's doing. So yeah, praise God. Hope that you can join us in that as well. So pick up a promo pack and and pray about it, and uh, if God puts that on your heart, we'd love to have you join us. I heard Nicole did an awesome job last week as well. I got to watch on the live stream. Yeah, you guys can clap away this morning. But uh, Nicole was sharing, if you didn't get a chance, check it out back on the uh, podcast. Nicole shared a little bit about what God's doing down in Costa Rica. And she interviewed, if you were here, you know this, Pam from Costa Rica. And they're literally rescuing kids off the street and bringing them into homes and sharing the love of Christ with them. And it's amazing to see what God's doing in that. I'm so grateful for Nicole and her heart. and, uh, and, And yet I've heard a little bit I've heard a little bit of this from some people, like, I'm getting sick of hearing all the global stuff. Like, we have, we have enough problems here in our country. Why are we always talking about stuff over there? And I get it, I get it, and I hear you, but you know what, like, over there, they don't have the resources that we always have here. And we have a duty and responsibility to share the love of Christ with every person. And you've heard me say this from the very beginning. I'm going to keep saying it. So if it bugs you, you probably don't want to be at Heartland long term. I'll just be honest. But like, I believe every single person who calls Heartland Community Church their home should go on one cross-cultural missions trip in their lifetime. Why? Because of what it does in you, how it changes and transforms you. And I believe that with all my heart. Now, for some of you that are going, yeah, but what about here, Pastor Dave? What about right here in our own community? Well, I have got a story for you today from the scripture. Because I want you to hear me loud and clear. If you're not called to go, then you are called to be here and engage. And that's our big idea for today. And we're gonna look at a story from the Bible where Jesus actually tells someone, listen to this, I don't want you to go. I don't want you to go. I want you to stay right here and I want you to engage. And maybe that's what God is calling you to do today. So we're gonna talk about that. But before we do that, let me pray for us, invite God's spirit to lead and guide us. I just wanna say thanks for getting up so early. It's nice to get up early on a bright sunny morning, isn't it? I cannot believe this is February. Praise the Lord. So let me pray and then uh, we'll invite God's spirit to lead and guide us. God, thank you for the way that you love us. Thank you for that amazing grace we just got to sing about. 
God, help me, help us never to take that for granted. What that cost you and how much you love us. God, I pray that your spirit would lead and guide us. Some of us, uh, we come here every week. I just pray that this would never become routine. Some are brand new today. I pray that they'd feel welcomed and loved by you. And Lord, be our teacher now as we open your word. I pray that you would be the one who guides us through your word, teaches us in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Hey, if you have a Bible or on your phone, take it out and go to Mark chapter five. That's where we're gonna be today, Mark chapter five. Our welcome team is heading to your section. If you'd like a Bible, you can just kind of raise your hand, get their attention. That's our gift to you. Take that Bible home, put it to good use. Uh, you wanna download the Version app. All the instructions are up here on the screen behind me. Uh, I believe you can see those online as well. And so you can follow along. Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. And um, some people have asked me, why don't you put all the scripture on the screen uh, every week? Because I want you to open up a Bible and see God's word and interact with God's word for yourself. So in Mark chapter 5, not sure how many of you know this, but Mark's gospel, uh, most scholars will tell you, was the first one written chronologically. Matthew and Luke most likely used Mark as a reference to write their own versions of the story of Jesus. And when you put all four of the versions, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all together, you really see a slightly different picture of Jesus through all four versions. And as you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you get this full picture of who Jesus was, of, of what he came to do, what he came to accomplish. And our story today is about Jesus' interaction, you ready for this, with a demon-possessed man. He meets him in the region of the Gerasenes, which is this Gentile, and if you're not familiar with the word Gentile, it's basically like this non-Jewish region, and this is actually the first time that Jesus goes into a Gentile region in, in his area and shares the gospel, shares the good news of who he is. So Mark chapter 5, let's start in verse 1. I'm going to read it. You can follow along, and then we'll talk about it for a few minutes, okay? It says, they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes when Jesus got out of the boat. A man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot. But he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Verse six says, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. Verse 11 says, a large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. 
And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed, and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told the, about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave this region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. It's quite a story, isn't it? This man with an impure spirit was most likely living in the tombs to stay out of the elements, to stay protected from the weather, and I'm sure the disciples had heard about this man. This man had quite a reputation because no one could bind him. Did you see that? Not even with a chain. He was so strong, the Bible says, he would tear the chains apart. No one could hold him down. Night and day, the Bible says, he would scream and cut himself with stones. This man was tortured beyond anything that most of us could ever imagine. He was hurting, he was hopeless, and then, and then he sees Jesus. He sees Jesus from a distance, verse six, if you're following along, notice it says he immediately starts running toward Jesus, and I, I'm wondering, like, if I'm Jesus, what are you thinking at that point? Here's this man with this reputation. He's so strong he can break chains, and he's running, and he's screaming at the top of his lungs, and did you notice what he was screaming? What do you want with me? Jesus, son of the most high God, in God's name, don't torture me. Now, if you read this, if you're hearing me read this the first time, you're probably thinking to yourself, this is so interesting, because what happens here? This evil spirit inside this man, this impure spirit, recognizes who? Jesus. And immediately recognizes not only who he is, but recognizes his authority. Whoa. The evil spirits recognize Jesus' authority. And Jesus just calmly and simply says to the man, come out of this man, you evil spirit. Like just, he doesn't, you know, there's no big show. He's not like razzle-dazzle, abracadabra. He just says, just come out of this man. And then he asks, what's your name? Jesus talks to the evil spirit. What's your name? And the spirit responds, my name is Legion. For we are many. Now, if you know a little bit about history, you know that in the Roman Empire, in the Roman military, a legion consisted of about 6,000 men. So scholars would look at this and say, could it be that this man was possessed by that many demons? Is that what he's trying to say? And the text doesn't really tell us that, but it does give us this idea that the man was so intensely possessed that these evil spirits have completely taken over his life and they are determined to destroy him. Do you guys understand that, right? Like evil still exists. That's what evil does. It destroys. It destroys through addiction. It destroys through all these forms, right? That's what evil does. It wants to take hold of us, and it wants to destroy us. Why? Because we're made in the image of God. We're made for a relationship with him. So at this point, the impure spirit begs Jesus. 
which I think is so interesting. Please don't send us to our destruction. Please don't send us to eternal torment. See, the demons know who's in charge, you guys. We have nothing to be afraid of when we know Christ, when he possesses our life. The demons know, so Jesus gives the demons permission to do what? You can go over there in that herd of pigs. Now, I look at that and I'm going like, what, what is that all about? And then these pigs, like 2,000 or so in number, just rush off the edge of the cliff and down into the land, they drown. So I asked myself, why did this happen? Well, if you know anything about Jewish people and pigs, pigs were considered what? Very unclean. That's how we know that this was probably the, the Gentile region, right? Because they, they were herding pigs. They were taking care of, the, of, of swine. And why did Jesus give them permission, the evil spirits, to enter into these pigs? We're not really told, but some scholars will say it's because he wanted everybody to know that the evil spirit was leaving the man and going into the pigs. Like this man was clean. He was being cleansed. This was a very tangible way of Jesus demonstrating that. And so what happens? Well, the people are shocked and amazed, and they see what happened, and what do they do? They go away, and they go, you guys got to come and see this. And they go and start telling all their friends what's happening, and the Bible says that all these people start showing up because they want to see what happens. And what happens when they show up? They see this man who had this reputation, who had been possessed by this evil spirit. They see him, the Bible says, sitting there, dressed, and in his right mind. And they have such an interesting reaction in verse 15. Look at it again. It says that they were afraid, and they immediately began to beg Jesus to leave. Does that strike you as odd? Like, I, I read that and I went, well, wait a minute, like, Jesus just, like, healed this man that everybody was afraid of, that everybody avoided because he was living among the tombs, he's cutting himself, he's screaming day and night, and, and, and they were afraid of that man, I'm sure. Jesus heals him, he's sitting there dressed in the right mind. Now the people are even more afraid. And they say, Jesus, we need you to get out of here. Now, some would say maybe they asked Jesus to leave because, you know, they lost 2,000 pigs and that was the way they made a living and they're just really upset about that. I would wonder if they just weren't, you know, they were afraid of what they knew in this demon-possessed man, but I wonder if they weren't even more afraid of what they didn't know. I wonder if it just, like, freaked them out. How did this happen? What kind of power does this man have? We just got to ask him to leave. This is overwhelming. We can't take this anymore. And so they ask him to leave. And you know, you've seen this over and over again in Scripture. Jesus doesn't stay where he's not invited, where he's not wanted, even in our own lives. So what happens next is what I really want you to see today. Okay? Verses 18 through 20 say this. Could you look at it again with me for just a second? As Jesus gets ready to leave, as he's ready to get in the boat, the man who's been demon-possessed, the man who has been healed, begs to go with him, and Jesus doesn't let him. The man's begging, Jesus, I want to go with you. You changed my life. I want to go wherever you're going. I want to be with you. Please, Jesus. The Bible says he begs to go with him, and instead, Jesus says, no. He gave him the even more difficult task of what? Going home to his own people and telling them what Jesus had done for him. The even more difficult task. So the man went away, 
back to his own home, back to his family, back to his people, and became the first missionary to the Gentiles. A demon-possessed man, healed by Jesus, became the first missionary to the Gentiles. And, and I get it, you guys. Listen, like not every person is called to go overseas. I know you've heard us, and you're going to continue to hear us talk about how important global missions is, and, and we love that, and we believe it changes you. Not every person is called to that. Uh, some are, and we should be grateful for that. You heard a little bit last week, like my own son Tyler and his wife Rachel are wrestling with a full-time call to Africa. Uh, we had someone over from the mission agency to our house last night. We were meeting with them. That's tough for mom and I. That's tough. Like your son and his wife are going to move to Africa. Like really? Really, God? Some people are called to that. It's not a call for everyone. It's a difficult call. It's a dangerous call. Praise God that some people are called. But if we're not called to go, then we are called to be here and to engage. That's our calling. If we're not called to go, we're called to be here and engage. And that's what this, this man was supposed to do. That's what Jesus wanted for this man. Jesus wanted him to be the first missionary to his own people, to start with his own family. And who are some of the most difficult people to share the gospel with? family, those people that are closest to us, those people who know us. Can you imagine this man coming back to his family? Oh, don't preach to us. You've been out in the tombs screaming like a wild man for all these years, breaking all those chains. Don't you preach to us. And yet Jesus had transformed him. Jesus said, I want you to go back and I want you to engage with your own family because those people need the good news. Go be a missionary. Go share how my mercy and my grace, my amazing grace has changed your life. Go do that. And guess what, you guys? That's our job. If we're not called to go, we're called to engage. So in our context, what does that look like right here in Medina County? What does that look like today, uh, this year? Like, how do we do that? Because there are plenty of people right here in Medina County who are still bound. There are plenty of people right in our own neighborhoods who need healing, who need hope. And you know how we do that? You know how we share the love of Christ with them? We do it by starting new campuses. That's what we do. And I don't know if you've heard this or not, but our first campus over at Williams-on-the-Lake is being led by Drew Steinhardt. He used to be a student in a class I taught down at Cedarville University. He became our first intern. We trained him. He became our youth pastor. Now he's our campus pastor. And guess what? There are over 300 people every single week who call Heartland Williams their home church, who are hearing this message today, who are hearing the good news of Jesus Christ, who are being transformed by the gospel. People who have never attended church, they don't even know about Heartland Weymouth. They've never been here. They Googled, right, because this is a church in their neighborhood, churches near me, and they ended up going to Heartland Williams. And they're hearing the good news of Jesus. They're their lives have the ability to be transformed. They have the opportunity to be baptized on March 15th. See, this is what happens. This is how we share the good news. This is what this Vision 2020 campaign is all about, you guys. We want to continue to do this. We feel called in the next two or three years to start another campus. Now, let me be really honest with you. We don't know who's supposed to lead it yet. We don't know when we're supposed to do it, and we don't know where. But besides that, we know it's supposed to happen. 
God will fill in the details, right? But we are excited about this because there are people in our community who are still bound. And this strategy of training up leaders, of sending them out, of starting new campuses, this strategy is the most effective strategy for helping people find Jesus. Some people, wait, 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 Pastor Dave, what are you, what are you talking about? What do you mean starting new churches, starting new campuses? Why is that the most effective strategy? Wait, wait, wait a minute. Why is starting new churches the most effective strategy? Let me give you a couple of reasons, okay? First one is this, coming up here on the screen at any moment. That's right, it's the biblical model, right? That's what we read about in the whole New Testament. Paul goes out, Timothy, they start all these churches and people start gathering. They start hearing the good news. We wouldn't be here today if they hadn't done that. If they'd have just stayed in their town and stayed in their one little place, we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be here if this man, this demon-possessed man, hadn't gone to his own people. Most of us are Gentiles. So he was called to go. Jesus said, no, you're not going anywhere. You're going to go back to your family. You're going to stay right there in your own town and engage. So it's a biblical model. Second reason is this. New churches tend to be more evangelistic. See, new churches, it depends. Their very existence depends on them sharing the good news with other people. So they tend to be more evangelistic. They tend to like, uh, instead of like established churches, we just assume people will come every week. Like new churches, they actually invite their friends, right? I'm not saying that we don't, but like it's important for them, for their very existence. So that's why they're so good at it. Third, sociologically, people like joining new organizations. There's some people who really loved it here, but they went, withdrew to start the new campus because they love starting new things. They're early adapters. And so sociologically, people, it's easier for people to do that than to join an older, already established congregation. Also, and this is probably the big reason for us, the fourth reason, it keeps us focused on what matters, and that's sharing Christ's love with people. Because you know what happens with most churches? They start to focus inwardly. They start to get focused internally on all their needs and all their programs, and they forget, why does the church exist? We want to help people find a relationship with Jesus, learn what it means to follow him, and share his love. So we send out. We share his love with people in our world who need it. That's what this is all about. So why do we continue doing this? Why do we continue to talk about starting more campuses? Because we want more unchurched people, people who don't know Christ, to come to know him, to experience the same transformation that we've experienced. See, it's not like we can come in the door and say, okay, we're all good now. Nobody else is invited. No, all of us are here because somebody invited or there was room and we came in. And there's more people who need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And check this out, you guys. When we step out in faith and invite other people from our community, guess what happens? God transforms us. As we take a step out and we reach people in our community with the love of Christ, God works in our own life. He transforms our life. So it's a little selfish if I'm, if I'm honest. And that's, what I love, that's why I love doing this. In fact, Mark and Allie Williams, who own Williams on the Lake, which is where Heartland started way back in the day, they are experiencing their own transformation by helping us get this new campus started. I want you to hear a little bit about their story. Check this out. So we decided to use uh, Williams on the Lake to share 
love Christ through Heartland um, as a couple. And we did it because when we bought the business, um, we wanted to maintain the culture that we had, that we'd inherited and um, for the business. And we also wanted to be faithful to God and what he had given us. And we know that none of this is ours. And we, we really wanted to focus on the idea of um, using the things he's given us to forward the kingdom and to forward um, that message. So as Heartland decided to come in and start William, Heartland Williams here, um, there was a few challenges as we changed a few of the features here at Williams on the Lake. When we first undertook this endeavor, Allie and I talked about it. Um, I can actually remember the day and we prayed about it, prayed about the answer and, and what it would look like to have Heartland come and be back here at Williams. We discussed it as a couple and as partners, business partners. And so the decision was to, um, basically if there were decisions that could go either way, if it was a, well, the church is asking for this, we don't feel necessarily comfortable about it, but we don't know why would we say no about it. Um, we decided to let those things go in what we consider to be God or the church's favor because we felt like um, God was calling us to do this. So if we were faithful, he would be faithful with us and, and whatever he wanted for us would be where we would end up. And that's kind of the tack we've taken throughout this process. Uh, so we did some remodeling and it was very exciting, very challenging at the same time. Once it was all together and seeing everybody here and seeing the excitement, our hearts were, were very full. So um, on Sundays when we get together now, that um, gives me that feeling of, of fulfillment, of completion, that we were faithful to what God was asking us to do, uh, what we felt when we prayed, and uh, it's, it's been a lot of fun. Awesome. That's such an awesome story. And that same transforming power that transformed the demon-possessed man and his life is available to us today. It's, it's changing Mark and Allie. They're changing in the process, right? And it can change each of us as well. Again, if you're not called to go and be a missionary overseas, then you're called to stay right here and to engage, to engage the culture, to share the love of Christ with people. And I want to know, like, what's your role in all of that? Think about that for a second. Like, what is your role? Maybe God's working on some of you and starting to say, I think you need to go to the next campus. Start praying about it. Maybe some of you, God's starting to work on to say, okay, maybe you're not supposed to go, but you're supposed to open your wallet and you're supposed to give so that other people can go and experience that same life-transforming power. Maybe you're here today and you feel a little bit like that demon-possessed man. You're hurting, you're hopeless, you're afraid, and you need Jesus to transform you. That's what this table is all about. This table of communion represents the transformation that's possible through a relationship with Jesus Christ. The fact that God came, shed his blood, his body was broken for each of us. Our worship team is going to come and they're going to lead us here in just a second as we celebrate communion together. But could you do me a favor? Could you just, just bow your heads for a second, close your eyes, and uh, I want you to think about something. We all know somebody like that demon-possessed man. Maybe, maybe they're not demon-possessed, maybe they're not full of impure spirits, but they're full of something other than Jesus. They're full of something other than God's power, and it's ruining their life. 
Would you, would you lift that person, that name up to Jesus right now? Just lift that name up to them, up to God. And as you're doing that, how about saying a prayer for yourself? As you prepare your heart to receive communion, how about asking God to do something new in you? This little piece of bread, this little glass of juice that we're about to receive are symbols of the body and blood of Jesus Christ, broken and shed for each one of us so that we could have life. When I'm done praying here in just a second, I'm going to invite you to come forward to any one of these tables, a gluten-free table in the back, to take a stack of cups, take it back to your seat, and just reflect, just pray for yourself, for that person in your life who needs to experience the love of Christ that can change them forever. At the end of the song, then we'll all celebrate communion together, but let's prepare our hearts right now. Father, thank you so much for your amazing grace, for this incredible gift. Thank you for what this table represents. God, help us never to take this for granted. It's amazing. You walked onto this, into this man's life and transformed it instantly, even though he was possessed by evil. God, we lift up our friends, maybe our relatives right now who don't know you, who are possessed with something other than you. And God, I just ask that you would make yourself real in their life. Speak to us what we're supposed to do to engage, to share your love with people, to take our relationship with you deeper. Thank you for the way that you love us, for the symbol this table is. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. At any time, help yourself to communion.